Since 2017, the Italian Wine Podcast has exploded and expects to hit 6 million listens by the end of July 2023. We're celebrating this success by recognizing those who have shared the journey with us and giving them the opportunity to contribute to the ongoing success of the shows. By buying a paper copy of the Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0 or making a donation to help the ongoing running costs, members of the international Italian wine community will be given the chance to nominate future guests and even enter a prize draw to have lunch with Stevie Kim and Professor Attilio Scienza. To find out more, visit us at italianwinepodcast.com. Chin chin! Welcome to another episode of On The Road Edition, hosted by Stevie Kim. Each week, she travels to incredible wine destinations, interviewing some of the Italian wine scene's most interesting personalities, talking about wines, the foods, as well as the incredible travel destinations. Good morning. So first of all, let me introduce you to my tasting panel. I'm a little yes. lazy today, Dorley, so I don't know if you've like followed us in the past. Let me just mm -hmm. turn it around. Can you kind of see? This is Lance. <gasps> Hi. Hi. He thinks he's the boss, but just let me assure you he's not. Okay. Okay. He's our Vinital International Academy um, program coordinator, and okay. he's originally from Chengdu. Okay. But okay. he's been with us for a long time. Believe it or not, he's the longest, right? Yeah. Because usually people leave me after a couple of years. So he's he's a dinosaur. I understand. I understand. Okay. So, uh -huh. and then we have our in-house WSET diploma educator and our Italian wine ambassador, Rebecca Lawrence. Hi, Rebecca. Definitely the smart one out of the pack. And she's English, mm -hmm. so she sounds smart, even if, you know, at times she's not. It's just <laughs> the English. question language. of language. Okay. Yes. And then we have Rachel from Memphis, Tennessee. Rachel. And then we have Hi, Elena from Siberia. And I am not making wow. this shit up. Like, she's from Memphis, Tennessee, and she's from Siberia. Okay. Then we have Franco from Sarono. He's our WSET um, coordinator for the School Italian Wine Academy. Then we have Christina. Okay. She Christina, actually has hello. an incredible palette. She used to work with Luca Galdini, who's a crazy person, but taught her everything she knows about tasting. She's our in-house enologist. And also she's a professional football player, like American football. So she's my okay. bodyguard. Okay. And then we have Jacopo. Hey. And he's our Italian wine ambassador, but also my classmate for WSET diploma. And then Shawan's not here today. She's also my classmate. She's a bit under the weather. So there we go. How are you? Fantastic. I'm fine. Thank you. Do you feel like you're kind of not zoomed out, but clubhouse? <laughs> are you feeling that yet? I decided to be very selective because it's really addictive. But I must say, I love it because I have learned so much in the last four weeks because it's uh, on Clubhouse. It's you get so much uh, information on on subjects which usually are not treated in your bubble. You know, it's uh, so I usually I go to talks that are outside the wine and I really learn a lot. I'm very, very grateful to that. But you must be very selective because otherwise you stay in there for 24 hours. There is always, I mean, yeah, it's, it's around it's the world. It's like, hey, Tushar, Tushar's joining us from Dubai. You know Tushar, mm -hmm. right? Tushar Bora. 
Um, maybe, yeah. You know, so Clubhouse, I think we need to, yes. I'm going to actually organize a room. Mm-hmm. Hey, Renee. Renee's from Clubhouse. Hello. Okay. Hi. Yes. Ah, yeah, um, no, from, from Canada. Yes. Yeah. But today we will be talking about um, your wines because yes. you are a, uh, first, tell us a little bit about yourself, your dual, your Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the PR side and the winemaker side. Yeah. Well, it's not uh, contradictive, so that, that's the, the good thing about it. <laughs> I um, I founded a PR agency, which is called Wine and Partners, in 1991. So my state-of-the-art investment to found the agency was uh, a fax machine. What do you mean? You just had a fax machine? No, I, I bought a fax machine. This was the, the investment, and it was state-of-the-art in terms of communication. Nice. There was no internet. There was no mobile phone. There was no email. <laughs> so this was I 91? 1991, yes. There was no email. There was email 91. No, it was... Maybe it, not in Austria, but in the rest oh. of the world. No, it... By the way, you know, when we start, like, you know, when we start with a special guest, like, we have, like, special accessory. Like, with Laura Catena, we wore all the barrettes and... And with um, I, um, Andrea last week, I found an old vine. For Austria, we can't find anything. So here we go. Okay. All right. So let's go yeah. back to your fax yeah. machine in 91. So that was 91. And since then, we have evolved a little bit. And, <laughs> and now we are a quite digital company, of course. And on the other side, I founded a, a winery, a vineyard project in 2002 and uh, on a hillside uh, which was quite unknown or forgotten uh, which is called Spitzerberg that's what you have on the label in front of you and it's a a hillside in the very east of Austria the region is called Carnuntum which is a Roman a Roman word it has really been founded hey Italians by the, by the Romans in the year eight. And in the very east of that region, there is this Spitzerberg hillside, which is not very high. It's about 300 meters high. But as all the, the rest of the region is very flat down to the Hungarian plain, it makes a difference. And it's a limestone soil, very poor limestone soil and extremely windy because this Spitzerberg is the beginning of the Carpathians, of the Carpathian Mountains. And then there is a corridor of about 50 kilometers before the beginning of the Alps. And now, listen, that, Dorley, can you just um, yes. tell us, um, to the rest of us, where this area is? It's in, in the eastern part of Austria? Just exactly. give us kind of a... If you, if you, are, if you start in Vienna and you go on the Danube east, for about 50 kilometers, then you arrive to the place where I make my wines. And if you continue for another 10 kilometers, then you arrive either in Slovakia or in Hungary. Yeah, so I, it's, I it's did really that by the, mistake once, actually. It's really the, the last corner of Austria. And this is why, so the mountain where I grow wines is part of the Carpathians, which is the big mountain chain that goes down all the way to uh, Romania 
it's the eastern, the main eastern European mountain chain. So it's not the Alps, but the Carpathians. And this uh, hillside called Spitzerberg used to be quite famous, like a 80, 100 years ago. It was supposed to be the best red wine place of Austria, but probably there was not so much competition at the time. And then it has been kind of forgotten. There was a cooperative founded and it failed and it went bankrupt. And when I came there in 2002 and I started to work there because my grandmother had a tiny vineyard of 0.17 hectares there. So this when is I, your family. Exactly. It was, it was like, like, like a small garden place where we had some vineyards. But uh, I had a very emotional, a very strong emotional relationship to that place. And so I thought maybe I should try to make something out of it. And the longer I saw it and uh, the more I work on it, I realized that this is a fantastic terroir. And uh, to me, of course, it is outstanding. And I think it is uh, one of the leading, it has leading potential in the old, let's say, Central European zone. It is very, very specific, very individual, very it, yeah, special personality. I'm very proud. I work now on the Spitzerberg for nearly 20 years. And so I when was your first vintage? When was 2000, your 2002. I oh, made okay. five, I made 500 bottles then. You have like eight wines now, right? Yeah, I think it's about eight wines. Yeah. It's, and how, uh, what is the total volume of production? You're still making tiny. Yes. Volume, I make. Right? I work on 11 hectares and I produce from 11 hectares, I produce 40,000 bottles. So it's very, very tiny production because it's so dry, so windy, so exposed, but very intense wines. I hope that you can uh, prove that when you you have them in your glass. Oh my goodness. It's listen, it's 12:43, so we have to start tasting the wines. Yes, please. So we'll be tasting two wines today. Can you just pronounce this? I don't butcher up. It's a Samt und Seide, Ach, you, which Samt, means Samt und Seide. Exactly, was, which means that? in English it means velvet and silk. Ah, okay, you see. And then, and then we have your Ried Spitzerberg. Okay, Ried Spitzerberg. So Ried, if you if you see on an Austrian wine label the the word Ried, it means that it's a single vineyard wine. Ried is the name of vineyard that's good for my exam yes okay so we will be tasting the first wine first yes the first Correct. wine first it's a good idea it's uh something side is a, a, a pure blaufränkisch the grape in both wines is pure blaufränkisch and you have in front of you the same vintage the same grape from the same hillside and the same winemaking the only difference between these two wines is the age of the vines. How old are the vines? In the first wine, the Sumpton Cider, I use all the vineyards that have an age between 10 and 30 years. Okay. And uh, what you uh, what you can understand, and this is why I use the name Sumpton Cider, is that the younger vines give a more velvety, rounder, like baby face taste. And the older vines, which with 30 years, they already come in into a adult age. On the Spitzerberg, they make a very silky, elegant, fine taste. 
So it's uh, it's really about texture on your palate. And in the you will see later on in the Rich Bitzerberg, which is very old wines. They are between forty-five and seventy years old. This is pure silk. Listen, and silk um, and silk means it's it's very dense, but very light. Dorley, so Renee is asking. Love the labels. Are these wines exported to Ontario or anywhere in Canada? Not yet. But okay, I'm so happy. You, yeah, you should. Rene, you should DM um, Dorley. Also, it's not actually imported, not even to Italy at the moment. So if anyone is interested from from Italy, you should also ping Dorley for sure. So, you know, your wine is basically, we can say it's organic, right? It's organic, certified yes. organic uh, since 2018. You mm -hmm. have the open vats, food treading, old mm -hmm. cast oak, and no filtration, right? Exactly. Other than this, what can you tell us about the first wine. Okay, probably what is important is to understand the grape. Blaufränkisch is a Central European grape that has a quite resistant skin. So this is very good because we have uh, sometimes we have rains in autumn, and uh, and we have very uh, big heat in summer. So Blaufränkisch is quite resistant, and it has a very intense aroma. If you don't know the grape, you could maybe imagine a mix between Nebbiolo, Pinot Noir, mm. and, and Syrah. A mix of those three, which are all of the same family. And, and then you understand a little bit. You have the freshness and the, the delicate fruit maybe of Pinot. You have the, the tannins and the acidity of Nebbiolo. And then you have sometimes the the, the, the full-bodiedness of Sierra. So it, it, it's all the three in there. Are you enjoying this podcast? There is so much more high-quality wine content available from Mama Jumbo Shrimp. Check out our new wine study maps or books on Italian wine, including Italian Wine Unplugged and much, much more. Just visit our website, mamajumboshrimp.com. Now, back to the show. Yeah, I love I love that Pinot and uh, Nebbiolo. Mm -hmm. Like for me, less Shira, but I mean the pepperiness. Yes. What What do you guys think? Do you guys have any questions for um, Dorley at this point? I know somebody had a question. Hi, Jessica. I, I just want to ask uh, which are the major challenges to produce, sell, and promote uh, a Blau Frankish or general premium red wines in uh, Austria. Low Frankish is just the 6% of the general vineyards. And yes. you're in a region where, where whites are still the 90%. So producing premium reds uh, is very challenging. So how do you face this? Yeah, well, it is. Thank, thank you for the question. It is definitely challenging, but we have also some help, for example, by global warming. So our our region really at the Canontum, the region of Canontum really at the moment is a a winner of the global warming because we get our harvest, for example, for Blaufränkisch nowadays is like four to five weeks earlier than 20 years ago. So that means we are really having beautiful, ripe, intense red wines every year and not just in exceptional years. So... With our involvement, we see that also the market evolves. 
the whole region gets more awareness for top red wines. And then, of course, this is inside Austria, but then also working outside Austria is really challenging because we have both. Austria does not have such a high perception or awareness for red wines. And then Blaufränkisch is, is a very hip grape now between sommeliers, but not so much between uh, consumers. So there is a lot of, a lot of communication to be done, but really it is a wine type that corresponds so much to what people nowadays like in the wine world. So it's not the heavy, bold wines, but it has a lot of freshness. It's very food friendly and it is very specific, very individual. So it's not one wine more of the same, but it's really very individual. So we have chances and a big potential, but we have to work from top to down. As we work a lot with, with press, with specialized press, and with sommeliers of uh, fantastic restaurants, because those people look for delicate wines that enhance the food and does not overwhelm the food. So I think this is a wine that is very much made for that, for food. But you said it's good to pair with food. What kind of what kind of food? Like first, like tell me some foods, like Austrian food, but also international cuisine. Yeah, I mean, the important thing is, that you have to see what is the age of the of the wine. Blaufränkisch is a varietal that ages very well, and the older it gets, the better it is in combining this food. A young Blaufränkisch, maybe not so much mine because we are very soft in tannins, but very often Blaufränkisch has a lot of tannin plus acidity. So then you need salt and and some fat in the dish. And the older it gets, the more balanced it becomes. So you can serve nearly everything with it. I mean, I know uh, Aldo Somme in New York served Saint-Jacques with my Spitzerberg and it works uh, so, very well. So with fish? With fish as well. But of course, if it is a, a young, like these two, a young, powerful red wine, I would prefer some long time cooked beef cheeks or something like that, where you really have some consistency that works with it. You know, the purpose of doing these tasting tasting panel is really for um, WSET um, studies. So, you know, you know, at the end of the WSET, there is like recommended aging time. They talk about style and quality and then mm-hmm. like, should you drink now? Should you hold it? Or yes, what is the ideal aging for these wines? Yeah. So the, my experience is that in a cooler year, let's say like 16 or 14 or 10, you can start drinking the wines after three to four years. But in a big year, like the one you have in front of you, the The 17, 17. I would keep it, if it's really getting a nice balance, I would keep it for eight to 10 years. Wow. Before serving. Yeah. Because if you you drink it now... You're going to be needing more wine then, Dorley. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry. No, but this is the, the young wines are very impressing with their fruit and their you know yeah they are they are kind of yeah impressive but they are not yet in their balance and they don't show so much terroir at the moment so this is a a a, a process that the power of the sun like goes back and fades out and the terroir fades in and this needs time and in a cooler a year with a little bit more rainfall the power of the sun is not so much. So this balance, they can reach earlier. In a bold year, like 17 or or 15 or 2009, 
10 years is fantastic. So if you, if you start after eight years, it's fine. So would you say, what, what's your, your signature wine out of these two? Well, the question is, what is your signature wine? The Rich Bitzerberg is, of course, is my top wine. It's made from very old vines and it is a showcase, in my opinion, what a Blafrankish from Austria, from limestone, because it's clearly marked by limestone soil, should be. But it's only a small quantity. I only make like 2,000, 2,000. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for sharing this with us. Of course. And the other wine, the Samtenseide, is my my most important wine. It's about half of my production is that. And and I think a signature wine should be something that is really available, not just a wine that you have to run, uh, I don't know, 2,000 kilometers to get a bottle. So I think that the two wines are quite uh, similar. They have the same signature, I would say. It is just the one is made from old vines and is a little bit more relaxed and has the wisdom of age. And it's a little bit more yeah, like that. And the something cider is a little, yeah, is younger, is a little bit more vibrant maybe at the moment. And it's impressing uh, a lot because of its fruit also in the year. So you're so focused on the storytelling, but you know, just the, our audience, first of all, Ayana Misawa, she's from Grace Wine from Japan, our friend, and we will actually be tasting her wines um, in, in a few weeks. I don't know when, three weeks. And she says, love Dorley's Spitzerberg. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm Spitzerberg with the little hot. And then also a sommelier um, 0.2. I have no idea who this person is. These are great yeah. wines. He loves, he, I know him. He loves my 2008 Spitzerberg very much. Okay, at the so he, obviously a long, long time fan. Listen, Dorla, we have a few more minutes left. I know we've spoken about kind of the differences, the old vine versus lesser yeah, um, old. Yeah. What are the other differences uh, for the second wine compared to the first? No other differences in the making. No, no other differences, and this is to me the exciting uh, situation that you have quite different wines in front of you. But the only difference really is the age of the wines of the of the vineyards, and this is why I chose these two wines to you so that you can because this is something you can learn. And if you pay attention very carefully, you will realize that the Rich Spitzerberg from the old vines is the longer wine. It looks maybe in the beginning a little... What did, what did you say? The normal wine? The longer wine. Oh, the longer. It has, yeah, it's, yeah. It, is, uh, it has more complexity, it's longer, but it's not more powerful. I think power and, and alcohol and forefront fruit is something that is um, is very typical for younger vines if you can speak about young vines when they are 30 years old but for old vines and this is what i really love is the length and it's a a, a very very dense texture but without being heavy as i said it's like silk silk is very dense you can't look through the uh, there is no, yeah, well, you can't look through the, but it's very fine. And still it is very resistant. And this is to me the ideal personality that I, I look for in a great wine, that it should not be powerful, but very clear, dense, long and um, elegant. 
So let me ask you one last question, which is a typical WSCT diploma question. Do old wines necessarily uh, produce higher quality wines? What is your opinion on that? No, I would say it's like with people. Age, I mean, being old does not necessarily mean that you I'm not sure I'll get any marks for that. Be like people. It's not that you are a, a, a better person, but usually you have more knowledge than a young person. And if you are smart, you use it in a better way. So old wines, can let's say, if old wines are in perfect shape, and this is a question of how they have been treated, they can give very harmonious, elegant, precise, and um, high personality wines that a young wine, a young wine can never give. You can, this length and structure and complexity is something that you cannot create in the cellar. This is something that is given only by old wines. And it's a, a difference. It, it, it's very complicated to taste it because most of people only look at what is the for the first taste. Where it's very impressive and thing, and the length and the uh, the uh, the finesse and complexity in the length is something that most people don't look for. And you, if you do this for your training, you should really look at that and really find out how do I recognize old wines. And once you get that. You, you will ever, you will always recognize it because this is, it's a big difference. And what the, the big question is, how can a vine become old? Because in many, many vineyards of the world, usually they are digged out after 30 or 35 years because the vineyard is not productive anymore. So our target is with every work that we do in the vineyard and with every decision to make, to give them the possibility to become very old. So this is organic viticulture, this is soft pruning, this is very soft treatments. So everything we can do so that they don't get sick, that they don't get any harm, and that they can become 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years old. And this is the challenge, because it's not easy to get old wines. Great. Listen, so um, thank you so much. Please look out for Doralee. Um, we're going to thoroughly, um, because one o'clock at the office, it's lunchtime. Oh. I have not seen anybody, uh, using the spittoon a lot. So I think we're, we'll be continuing this tasting panel. We'll That's put out the good. notes, uh, for you later. But first of all, I want to tell everybody that to look out for Doralee on every Wednesday at 8 p.m., right? In the clubhouse. Yeah, except, except next week, because we do the Asia thing next week this is very interesting you will i hope that you can come in we do about what has changed in the asian market in the last oh, 12 okay. months but because of the time difference we have to do it at three o'clock next all Wednesday. right i do that but too when i do asia mm -hmm. i do it at like you know like this time you know 12 yeah, o'clock Okay, yeah. great. So look out for Dorley Moore. She's very active on um, Clubhouse, has very interesting rooms um, dedicated to the wine business. Um, I run a room on Thursdays about wine, winemakers. Um, tonight, actually, 8 p.m., I'll have Gravner, Simchik, and Alice Firing, you know. Uh, that'll be interesting. Um, girls, girls, girls. Yeah, and then um, I do one market series as well during the week, mostly Wednesday. Fantastic. So, yeah. Thank you so much. Let's say goodbye to Doralee. Hello. Hello.
have a good have a good lunch yeah i think we're going to thoroughly be enjoying this okay thank Very you so good. much and, if, and please and please give me feedback after lunch yes what has how how you think the wines behave with whatever you eat i hope you have nice uh, dishes i just i just have like grissino so <laughs> i don't know okay. but yes we will we're going to do the proper tasting notes in any case okay, okay. Thank you. Bye. Ciao, ciao. Thank you. Bye-bye. Ciao, ciao. Thank you for joining us on another installment of On the Road Edition, hosted by Stevie Kim. Join her again next week for more interesting content in the Italian wine scene. You can also find us at italianwinepodcast.com or wherever you get your pods. You can also check out our YouTube channel, Mama Jumbo Shrimp, to watch these interviews and the footage captured of each location. Chin chin!